0: Heavenly Father, our minds are a tool that you use. You enable us to think your thoughts after you. You enable us to conceive of the promises and how they work out that you've given us. They allow us to read the words of God And allow the Holy Spirit to to make our minds come alive, to understand them, to wrap on themselves around them. So Father, we ask you to do that for us by your Spirit this morning, that we might hear as it were the very voice of God speaking to our hearts and our minds. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church, amen. Now, I want to begin our message today by sharing with you an observation that was shared with me by a visitor to our church just last week. Now, this visitor was a Christian brother that I've known for many, many years right here in Apple Valley. He faithfully attends and he holds a leadership position in another local church. I met him years ago when he attended a memorial service for a friend of his that I had conducted. Now this fellow has periodically dropped into our services over the years, usually when his pastor is out of town. Now he's come from time to time during in between Sundays for just some counsel and some encouragement. We've had that relationship But this past Sunday he showed up wearing a big grin and he gave me his normal exuberant greeting. He assured me that his pastor was, of course, out of town. (laughs) And he said the service that was going to be taking part in their church, his church, was just not ordinary for that Sunday and, and he felt the need. He said he really felt the need to hear a message from a familiar messenger. Now at the end of the service, at the end of the service, he came up to me and thanked me for the message and for always welcoming him. And then he said most sincerely, the spirit of the Lord is surely in this place. I think we would all say amen to that, wouldn't we? We know that's so. We know that so. There's a peacefulness and a harmony and a worshipfulness that is almost tangible when our Heavenly Father forms us into that house of worship and praise that, that we talk about every single Sunday. It perhaps is more noticeable by those who are only here occasionally. I believe I believe if James, the writer of the book who bears his name, the book of the New Testament that we're going through verse by verse right now, I believe if that James were still on earth today, he would love to worship with us. He would find a camaraderie with us. He would sense that some of the concerns he expressed in his own day, have been heeded in ours. Now, the passage before us this morning expresses one of those concerns. James' whole letter is full of one concern right after another. These were brand-new Christians scattered through a a pagan Roman empire and, and all kinds of things they could be encountering, all kinds of temptations, all kinds of difficulties all kinds of things that would cause them to say, James, what should I do? What what is God's will here? We're, We're brand new at this. And so he wrote his letter. And he touched on many, many things that he either knew or suspected that they might be running into, things they needed to be aware of if their Christian walk was going to be solid and successful. Now, the passage we have this morning expresses one of those concerns. And here's how the Holy Spirit had James put it. Today's key scripture, it's James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, James was identifying a a pretty tough situation wasn't he? Apparently some word had come into him, come to him because it sounds like he's really saying, I've heard. I've heard. Remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he says, I'm afraid that in your meetings you do more harm than good. That can happen. James must have heard something. He gives us the impression that believers were to some degree at one another's throat. Peace and harmony was certainly not the prevailing mood when they got together. Now, before we discuss this passage and the concern that James had for the believers of his day, it's important that we come and understand certain key terms that he uses. And so here we have them in front of you today. Today's key definitions: number one, slander. That's a strong word that the English translators chose to uh, to translate the Greek word that uh, is found in James' writings. Slander can mean to speak evil of. Usually it it communicates a, a falsehood, something made up, pretty nasty, something that would destroy a person's reputation if it were true, but it's being told as if it were true. To speak evil of. To seek to discredit someone in the eyes of others. A public condemnation. Judge. Judge to conclude the true condition of something or someone. It's like I've examined it and here's my judgment. Here's what's really going on there. Here's what the situation is. To make a judgment. To judge. To conclude the true condition of something or someone. I'll tell you about that guy. I'll tell you about that situation. That's what James is calling the judge speaking. It's kind of a a final determination. No more discussion needed. I'm telling you how it is or how they are. And then neighbor, well, it's a fellow human being, any human being who crosses our path is a neighbor whether they actually live right across the block wall from us or not. And especially, James is talking about those fellow human beings who are believers. He says, brothers and sisters. So Christian neighbors. So there's our definitions we're working with. And out of this passage, I would say we could draw four key observations conclusions maybe that we might draw here's the first one and and as I read it you probably thought it was kind of a weird way James was talking talking about judging the law and how it in fact when Linda was typing this up in that little box that uh, we just read she said Mark could you come in here and read this for me I think there might be some more punctuation needed here could you just read this for me the way that it's supposed to go? So we read it, and then, oh, yeah, okay. But what he chose to say is not what we normally would think of saying. So let's look through. What he's saying here is, first observation we can draw, to judge a fellow believer is to violate the law itself. Here's what he says in verse 11. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, a fellow believer, or judges them, forms some absolute conclusion about them, speaks against the law and judges it. And I put in parentheses there, that is, finds the law to be inadequate. Have you ever been driving your car and found the speed limit law to be just inadequate. (laughs) I am not going to get where I need to go at the time I need to be there. If this silly law, have you ever done that at the little, is it an octagon shaped red thing? When you come to the end of the street, and anybody, you can see there's nobody coming there, there's nobody coming there, and I'm in a hurry, and for heaven's sakes, my brakes, uh, I don't want to overwork them anyway. And you just go right on through that stop sign. We Californians have a term for that, don't we? What is it? A rolling stop. I don't know if it's actually in the DMV manual or not. But it's pretty much a California phenomenon that we're all familiar with. If nobody's coming, just roll right on through. In my neighborhood, sometimes they accelerate right on through. The law, people can find it to be inadequate. And James is talking about God's law. See, that's a pretty potent statement. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, kind of within this slanderous kind of an accusation of them, speaks against the law and judges it. Now, we could ratchet up that statement just a few notches to make it sound even worse, and it would go like this. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, that is, demeans, or slanders them, speaks against God himself and judges him that is to be inadequate. You see, wouldn't it be the same thing? Wouldn't it be true that to speak against the law that has been given is to speak against the lawgiver? Would that not be a most grievous position to find ourselves in. Does it not make sense that James would be most concerned if those under his care were doing that? Should we not all be concerned today to examine ourselves and be sure that we're not violating these things that James says should not be violated? You see, first of all, we Born again believers in Jesus Christ, we who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that for us today, our lawgiver is Jesus. I'm not going to take you back into the Old Testament today and find all kinds of laws and prescriptions about how you treat people. Because we're not living in Old Testament days, are we? Remember in the Sermon on the Mount how many times Jesus said, talking to people who had been raised on the Old Testament ways, he said, now you've heard it said. Six times he started teachings with that phrase. You've heard it said, but I'm saying to you. So see, we want to hear what Jesus has to say on this particular subject. Here's a few lines from Jesus' law book. Matthew chapter 7, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 1, he says, judge not. And here he uses the same word that James uses. Judge not lest you be judged in that kind of a harsh, final way. Just says, don't do it. Don't do it. James was identifying that some of the people he knew and loved scattered through the world were doing it. They were judging one another, condemning one another, making accusations about one another, destroying the harmony there ought to be in a a fellowship of saints. So James could say, who are you? Who are you to judge somebody else? Jesus had said, don't do it. Don't do it. You're not equipped to do it well. That's the, the unspoken part of that. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says to his disciples that very last night they were together in the upper room, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's a law, that's a command. Sometimes he, he even put it that way, he say, a new command I give you. Love one another and love one another not the way you determine love to be, but you love one another the way I have demonstrated love to be. And here's a few adjectives we could put on that. Sacrificial, forgiving, understanding, patient love. That's our lawgiver laying down the law. And then Peter. Peter who had experienced so much of that love of Christ, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter says, Now love, love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad it does? I tell you, Peter experienced Jesus' love covering over Peter's boastful pride. Remember when Peter said, boy, Lord, I don't care if everybody else runs away. I'll never run away. If you go to jail, I'll go to jail with you. If they kill you, they can kill me right after they kill you. In fact, they'll have to kill me to get to you. Who wouldn't want a buddy like that? Jesus is Peter. Peter, before the rooster wakes up tomorrow morning you're going to not only not follow me, not stand by me, not protect me, you're going to deny three different times that you even know me. Never. But he did it. And then writing later, Peter could say, you know, Christ's love, it just covers over so much that I messed up in my life. Even denying my own Lord, he brought me back and renewed me. Now that's the kind of love he has. And he says, the law he laid down says, now we should love one another that way. So, I'd say to us this morning, let's be sure, let's not be found judging the very directives given by Christ. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. Have you ever said to yourselves, yeah, but he never met this person. (laughs) This person who claims to be a Christian, but I highly doubt it. This person who is so annoying, this person who has actually uh, treated me badly on numerous occasions. See, we, we could say, I find that statement of Jesus to be a bit inadequate. It may be a little optimistic. It may be, uh, and uh, so let's not judge what Jesus said. He said it, and that's the law. So let's continue to practice the patient, forgiving, understanding, even sacrificial love for one another that allows the Holy Spirit on any given Sunday to fill this room with the very fragrance of heaven and to say, for a few moments, it's like we've been lifted out of this dog-eat-dog world and we're in this place where <laughs> all us dogs just huddle down together. We're a pack and Jesus is the, is the leader. And it feels good. And then let me say to you, allow your own home to be filled with that very same fragrance. Now here's a second observation arising from our passage, and it reveals, this one reveals the reason that we can lift that burden of judging from our own shoulders, and the reason we should be sure we never pick it up in the first place, and feel the pressure to be making judgments about all kinds of stuff. And even evaluating whether certain scriptures apply or or are are misstated or, or find a way around them. Find the scripture to be inadequate in some way. And when it comes to not judging, the second observation is this. God, James says, is the only one who can rightfully judge anyone. He says in verse 12, the first part, there is only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one. God himself. He is the lawgiver and the life evaluator. Now it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, he went through a transformation a lot like Peter. Peter had boastfully put himself in positions made promises he could never keep, and then felt the love of Christ forgiving him even when he messed up so badly. The Apostle Paul had quite a turnaround in his life as well, you recall. Paul was by nature a man given to pronouncing final judgments upon all kinds of people. Read Acts chapter 8. Discover that the leaders of the Jews, that Paul was a key leader they determined, they judged that Stephen was worthy of death because he believed in Jesus. And he even testified that he looked up to heaven and he he saw the Lord. Heaven was open to him and he gave words of praise even as he had told them and rehearsed for them the entire Old Testament history and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. And the Jewish leaders, who had already had a chance to accept Christ and didn't, they just rejected him and said, he's blaspheming. And Paul stood right there, the Bible says, him giving consent, probably even authorizing it. And they stoned Stephen to death. That guy deserves to die. Paul was that kind of a man. He felt completely comfortable in the judge's role. And yet later on, after the Lord had marvelously converted him, changed him, the Holy Spirit walked with him and shaped him, Paul then wrote a letter to the Romans, and in the book of Romans chapter 14, verse 12, Paul said this, Each man, each man will give an account of himself to God. Not to me. There was a time where Paul thought, he's the one you have to satisfy. Stephen didn't satisfy Paul's standards, and so to death with him. But Paul says, you know, no man is in that position. I'm not in that position. Horrors, God forgive me for what I did to Stephen. But each man, every man, will give an account of himself to God. You see, the truth is, when it comes to making final judgments, there is always more to the situation than meets the eye. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody is judging you, and you know they don't know the whole story? They don't even know half the story. They don't even know there are things that are part of this package that, that they have uh, jumped on that, that you can't even tell them. You, you, you don't feel free to tell them, but, but they're making judgments knowing only a piece of what they can see and what they've been told. There's always more to a situation than meets the eye. We never know all the facts, nor do we know the motives and the history behind a person's actions. There's always more of our human flesh remaining in us than we realize. Pride, competitiveness, insensitivity, envy. As we're making our fine spiritual judgments about a situation, about a person, when we say, isn't that such a shame, that? And how could they do this? And, And we never realize how much of that's being fueled by our own fallen nature. There's always more of the flesh remaining in us than we realize. And there is always the tendency to find the sins of others to be more grievous, that is, more worthy of condemnation than our own. So, There is, therefore, the real possibility that any final judgments that we make will be skewed, twisted out of a a proper orientation, and most likely counterproductive. And so, our judgments, our public condemnations of the sins of others might well do more harm than good. And so Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a mess. It'll put you into a mess when you put yourself in that position. God's judgment contends with none of these limitations. God doesn't have to worry about being bothered by the flesh. God doesn't have to worry about not knowing the whole story. God doesn't have to worry about any of these things. So when God, the judge of all, makes his judgment, it's absolutely sound. It's absolutely true. And it's according to his own nature that has a good bunch of loving forgiveness in it. Which ours doesn't always. So James says he's the only one who can rightfully judge anyone. And so let's just resolve we will see him and him alone in that role. And now James tells us that within the role of judge of all things and of all people, God can both save and destroy. He will do both, the Bible says. Here's verse 12, the middle part of the verse says, He is the one who is able to save and destroy. I'll tell you knowing that about the God of the universe. What a delight it must have been for the Apostle Paul to write these words in that previously mentioned letter to the Romans. Just listen to these words, Romans 8, 1. Paul says, there is therefore now. Why now? Because things have changed. Things have changed. When Paul wrote those words now, means the Son of God has come to earth, lived a perfect life, and laid down his life on the cross in payment for all the sins of all the world of anyone who will open their eyes and heart and receive his offering on their behalf. So Paul says, see, it's a time thing. He couldn't say this in the Old Testament. There is therefore now no condemnation. Just turn to somebody and say, no condemnation. None at all. None at all. And then slide in there just very quickly, and I don't condemn you either. (laughs) Sometimes those can be helpful words. At least think of those words, right? There is therefore now no condemnation, and that's a derivative of the word James used for judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, if we're in Christ Jesus, if we've committed ourselves to him as our Savior and Lord, if we've confessed him as the Son of God that he is, if we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, and we admit that we, in fact, are sinners, and sin has a penalty that is both temporal and eternal, and we then say, I'm casting all my hope of eternal life on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit puts us in him, into the fellowship of those who belong to him. So if we're in Jesus Christ, there's no more any condemnation. God is never going to look at any one of us and say, I don't know if this would be okay to say if I put it in God's mouth. Do you think it's okay to say something if I put it in God's mouth what God's actually going to say someday, God will never look at any one of us and say, to hell with you. Never. There's no condemnation left. Our Heavenly Father, when we're in Jesus Christ, when his eyes look upon us as we approach heaven's gate, he says, welcome home. Welcome home. We might have our head halfway down when we see what a brilliant holy beautiful place it is and and we're bringing ourselves into it but in only a few seconds will it take for us to start looking at ourselves the way God looks at us and we'll feel at home we know we belong in that home because there's nothing of judgment or condemnation upon us anymore and there will no longer even be any of that old fueled that old sinful nature part of us anymore. No condemnation. I'm sure that James very likely heard these words come out of the mouth of his heaven-sent earthly brother Jesus. They're recorded in John 3, verse 17. Jesus said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do people ever have the idea in our world today that Christians are Christians are condemners. Jesus is not me. The Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. And you know why that is? The world was already condemned. Jesus didn't have to say, this world's condemned. This world is sinful. That was obvious. He came to make an adjustment in that condition. So he didn't come to condemn the world, but God sent his son into the world to save the world through him. See, that's that's the marvelous message. This is the heart of the gospel story. Jesus' great sacrifice on Calvary made possible the removal of judgment and condemnation from man's future. Jesus' death did not make man perfect. Jesus' death provided for man's forgiveness. And that that judgment of God, that evaluation of the judge of the universe, that you, Mark Michaels, are a sinner deserving judgment, has been forever taken out of the picture. I put your judgment on my son, Jesus. And if you put your hope and faith in my son, Jesus, then all that he accomplished is yours. You are forgiven, Mark, even if you never get one bit better. Now, that can be a solace, can it? Don't raise your hand. How many Christians do we have in here that almost kind of take comfort in the fact that that they're saved even though they're not one bit better than when they got saved. Still doing the same stuff, still having the same goals, still getting into the same difficulties with people. Every now and then you run into somebody like that. Every now and then it's kind of you feel a little bit like that way yourself. And the truth of it is, the agreement we made with God regarding eternal life has nothing to do with us getting better. It's like an old car trying to get up to 60. You know, zero to 60. How long does it take? Well, some cars are pretty dead and pretty underpowered. And you might put your foot on the pedal as hard as you can put and you can't get past 35. Now there you are. Other cars just buzzing by you going down the street. You're doing the best you can. Somehow it seems like that's all you got. And God doesn't say, until you can hit 60, you can't make it to heaven. You see, there was an old bumper sticker that we make a lot of fun at, but it's true. The one that says, I'm not perfect, sort of like, don't expect perfection. I'm not perfect, just what? Forgiven. Forgiven. Now, you don't want to stick that on your car to excuse all the ugly stuff you do. <laughs> Say, why are you getting all excited about this? God has accepted me. Well, even the highway patrol won't go for that argument. See, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift that is granted once and for all by God the Father, the judge himself. Perfection, growing toward Christ's likeness, is a process. And it is intended to to begin to function in the life of every born-again child of God. And we see it functioning. We rejoice in that functioning. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to, to process that functioning. And we expect it. And we rejoice every little step in the right direction. Every time our speedometer gets just a little closer to 60, it's like, whew. It's working. It's working. This old car is just kind of gaining like a fresh vitality. We're 100% forgiven. We might only be 20% perfected. But the Holy Spirit is committed to taking us all the way toward maturity in Christ as we don't judge ourselves and we don't get involved in judging other people and making sure we stack up a little bit better than that person we just yield ourselves to the holy spirit as he begins the work of renewing us changing us perfecting us and that's that's the process but don't confuse getting better with getting forgiven You're 100% forgiven if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're 100% saved if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But that, that very relationship with Jesus Christ begins to change you by his Holy Spirit. That's why we need to get together. So we're not all out there by ourselves trying to figure this out. Here's James. Well, James' third point then is that God is the judge of mankind. God handles both salvation and destruction or condemnation. We don't need to handle either one of those. And that's point four. Believers are to do neither. So James says, chapter 12, or verse 12, the last part, who are you to judge your neighbor, particularly your fellow believer? Here's a verse we looked at last week certainly applies to this situation. It was the last one in last week's passage, verse 10. It says, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he what? He will lift you up. Don't despair over not overcoming uh, you know, things in your life that you know don't belong in your life. Just humble yourself. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Humble yourself and what? He will lift you up. His spirit will give you the ability to see the changes taking place that you most desire to see. All of us want to be godly. All of us want to be honoring to Christ. All of us want to walk in his footsteps. All of us want somebody someday to walk up to us, having just met us for a little while, and say, hey, you must be a Christian. You say, yeah, I yeah. am. What, what made you think so? Well, hopefully your life has something in it, an aroma that is given off by it that is just a heavenly one. And see, that's expected to happen. We want to see that happening, and and as we humble ourselves and just give ourselves to, to the Lord every single day, his spirit is free to make that and those kinds of things happen. So we say here, our job is to bring redemption to people, the story of redemption, not condemnation. Most unsaved people know they're messed up. We don't need to put a word on it, a title on it, and make sure that they commit and and acknowledge that they are. They know that. We're bringing discussion about a way of life they know nothing about, but that they would love to have. They would love to have peace and joy and, and kindness and all these things as part of their life and part of their family. That's the part of the story we bring. By the Holy Spirit, who's given to those who give their lives to Jesus Christ, these things begin to, a new life begins to emerge. So our job is to bring redemption, not condemnation. Our job is to bring encouragement, not judgment. Our job is to bring Holy Spirit-produced fellowship, not flesh-driven dissension. So our final thought conveys a reality that that James would say, never forget this. Never forget this. Nothing feels more godly, but is actually less godly than judging a fellow human being. Avoid it. And let me just say, as I take one more big breath of this place, I thank God for every one of you. If James were walking in today and sat down and kind of just watched you behave yourself before church and after church and during church, he would say, wow, 2,000 years has gone by and some of the things I was so concerned about, I I see in this place. There's there's not judgment going on. These people aren't trying to one-up each other This really seems like a family of faith where they know each other, trust each other, love each other, and and welcome anyone who comes through the doors, no matter what life circumstance they're in. And they are eager to tell that person that God has a way. God has made a way that they can be released from bondage and sin and judgment, and they can enter into the very life that Jesus himself lived. And isn't that a marvelous message? And isn't that the one we share together? And I thank you for it. I praise you for it. And I wish James were here. And he would say, way to go, guys. You can take those two verses out of your Bible. No, he would just say, those two verses you're doing pretty good with. Keep up the good work. Heavenly Father, it's a a wonder how from the very beginning of the days of the church to us now some 2,000 years approximately later, the very same lawgiver oversees us. Jesus is the one who said, this is how I would build my church. These are the principles of my church These are the things that I want my people in my church to carry out both between themselves and between them and those on the outside. Father, forgive us when we start to find the teachings of Jesus to be in any way inadequate. We make excuses, we make alterations. Oh, Father, may we maybe we not be found judging the judge. But may we embrace everything that Christ has said, everything Christ desires, everything the Holy Spirit nudges us to endorse and to do, that we might become people that are good people to be around. And that, Father, we would stop short of looking at people who are are really in a mess. Even people who are in authority, who are responsible for making some of the mess. Father, forgive us for looking at them and just judging them harshly. For they are people lost in one degree or another of sin and ignorance and unawareness and hurtful experiences and fleshly. Uh, motivations, and one doesn't differ that much from another. So, Father, forgive us when we even have the tendency to judge people harshly and to publicly say things that are are demeaning and, and unkind father i thank you for this body of people how little of that we find here we you've enabled us to commit ourselves not only to christ but to one another and we pray that that we might in turn just take the good love of jesus christ and his church into our communities and not not be known as anything, but people who care that individuals find eternal life in Jesus Christ, and that anything they have done or are presently doing can be covered over by the love of Christ, can be changed, can be cured, can be forgiven. And we ask you this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.